from Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And hello out there in Radio Land. Happy New Year to you. It is I, Justin Russell, broadcasting live from Podcast Village for the best political podcast you've never downloaded. In our first broadcast of 2020, our first broadcast of the new decade, and believe it or not, this is the first broadcast of our 10th year. That's right. Backroom Politics has been in existence for 10 years and lots of stuff happening, a lot of changes coming along. We've got a lot of things that are going to be happening this year. But uh, all in all, it's going to be a great year. We're going to look back at a lot of things that have happened in the past 10 years, how what started as a discussion with a former congressman, a former White House official, and me at a cigar bar in Washington, D.C. turned into this. And we're still trying to figure it out. We still don't know how this happened. Anyway, joining me on the phone uh, because it is Washington, D.C., and if there's even the hint of snow, they're going to shut everything down. Uh, he is the former assistant. He is the former assistant secretary of commerce for international trade. He is the one that we know as Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. Happy New Year to you, sir. Thank you. And just to clarify, I was actually the undersecretary. Undersecretary. I keep doing but, that. I'm sorry. One of these days, I'll get it right. I'm sorry. A, it's all right. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. And joining us, he is the author of such great books as uh, American Politics on the Rocks. Uh, former Huffington Post contributing person. He is now a regular on our show. He is the one we know as Richard Bino. Hello, Richard. Happy New Year. Thank you, Justin. You as well. Uh, and uh, of course, behind the glass, we have uh, we, we have Mr. We have Mr. Charlie Bernie on the board, helped by Maddie, the engineer. And, can I say your slogan now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. It's Ten in twenty. <laughs> He's been waiting to I do that. I just wanted to say that. I'm you out. should. That 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 works. Uh, and then also, wow, this is a treat. Also joining us for the discussion here is, uh, I believe, Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, is that you? Oh, I thought we had him, but uh, we will double check that. Uh, Admiral Ken will be joining us here shortly. But anyway, we have a lot to talk about, and obviously the big, um, the the big ticket item right now that we're all looking at is the situation in Iran. For those of you who may not have known, uh, last week the president ordered a drone strike at the Baghdad airport. The airstrike took out several Iranian military officials, the most senior being uh, the head, uh, the commander of the Quds Brigade and a senior ranking political official in the Ministry of Defense uh, who was who was uh, who was killed by this drone attack. Uh, The death of uh, Qasem. Soleimani has been a spark, a lighter fluid ignition of anti-American sentiment going on inside Iran. All factions are now saying words like death to America. It has caused a lot of tension in the uh, it's caused a lot of tension in the region. It has caused a lot of tension among allies. And it is um, 
It is something that has gotten uh, not only the administration, but both Republicans and Democrats very, very nervous. Uh, it is a developing story as we talk about the funeral yesterday in Tehran drew at some are saying hundreds of thousands. There's one estimate that puts it up even as far as a million people. I doubt that I would believe the hundreds of thousands, but this is a tense situation going on in the Middle East that quite frankly, we didn't need in an election year. Uh, it is uh, called into question the War Power uh, War Powers Act. It is caused called into question the authority of President Trump to do what he did. It is called into question the judgment of several that are advising him in the White House on national security matters. But let's get down to it. Uh, first of all, also joining us right now, uh, he is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy, Admiral Ken. You're on now, aren't you? Happy New Year, fellas. Happy New Year. Happy New Good Year. To see Happy New Year to you too, Admiral yeah. Ken. Yay. Hey, uh, so anyway, let me start with um, let me start with Alan Moore real quick. Uh, Alan, you you've been hey, you're overlooking me. Dan, oh, Dan Lipner. I'm sorry, didn't see you check in. He is the former Joe Biden political operative and longtime attorney in the great state of Maryland and Washington, D.C. He is the one we know as Dan Lipner. All right, let's get back to it, because we've already done introductions for about five minutes, two minutes too long. So anyway, uh, Alan Moore, let me start with you. The the, the death of uh, General Soleimani has, has, has obviously stirred up a lot of tension in the region. First of all, nobody's crying crocodile tears nobody's really losing sleep over the fact that this man who in large part was responsible for exporting terrorist activities into the region to syria into northern iraq uh is responsible for the death of many american service people and civilian support contractors the 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 larger question is number one was this the right move? Is taking out General Soleimani in Iraq a good move, or is this just wag the dog? Time will tell um, whether it was a good move or not. Uh, that's a different question than whether this was there was some element of of, of wag the dog, which I tend to doubt, but whether this was an impulsive act by a president who would not have gone through the normal in-depth pro- listening process of trying to figure out from as many people as possible who were knowledgeable um, uh, the pros and cons. Uh, two former presidents have, had looked at, at similar issues. Now, Soleimani's role had become increasingly enhanced, increasingly visible. He was almost flaunting and taunting his ability to move around among several countries. So I don't want to say everything was equal, but the, the two former presidents, both Bush and, uh, and Obama, presumably on more than one occasion, r- wrestled with the question of whether to take this guy out because he was clearly a bad guy with a lot of influence. Now, that doesn't mean it was right to do this time, but it doesn't automatically mean that it was wrong to do this time there have been people arguing for uh, on the merits for taking him out right but the alan more question hold on let me just jump in real quick alan because the, the question that comes up that we're hearing a lot of is they say well you know this guy was a terrorist this guy you know killed a lot of americans no question 
But they say, well, you know, this is Trump's Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden was a non-uniformed, uh, non-uniformed combatant. He was an individual combatant that of a terrorist organization, as opposed to, and and I don't mean to do this, but it's the simplest way we can do it taking out the equivalent of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs or a senior ranking, you know, the the commanding general of the 24th Mechanized Division, that one is a government official, the other is a non-uniform combatant. Is is there legitimacy in that? Well, I mean, those are facts. I'm not disputing those facts. Um, But but, that's part of the consideration that one would have to that would, one would normally hope that a president would would reflect on go through and say yeah this is a sovereign nation very senior person who in his own way had this reputation of veneration making him arguably the second most important person in that entire government yeah. well, that, this... that I'll, I'll i'll leave others to to decide that i'm not saying it's the same i'm saying that those are factors that we would want a president to re- to reflect upon and wrestle with and possibly come up with a decision to say enough is enough we have some some uh, active uh, uh, intelligence that prompts us to say now is the time right supposedly but, but, or reportedly there's going to be uh, well, there's going to be retaliation state there's going to well, be retaliation well there's it's it's again an issue that you wrestle with. What what are the downsides? What kind of retaliation might it invite? Right. What did we head off by taking him out? Which right. is something that well, presumably the secretaries yeah. of defense and state are gonna are gonna talk about tomorrow in both houses of Congress well, behind me, closed doors. You're right. Dan Lipner though, you know, the, the, the we've heard this statement coming out of Secretary Pompeo and Secretary of Defense Esper over the weekend during the talking head circuit that this um, this attack was necessary to uh, all, you know offset or prevent imminent threats to American uh, American citizens, American military personnel, and people abroad. Uh, when pushed on it, they could not go into specifics, or they would not discuss the specifics. Did. Did Secretary Pompeo and Secretary Esper miss an opportunity to give credibility to the airstrike that might have started something that we really didn't need in the region? Did they miss an opportunity to give legitimacy to this airstrike? Actually, I'm going to punt on this if I can, because I think Ken can answer it better, because I find it hard to believe that General Soleimani was the end-all, be-all on determining in any actionable intelligence at that moment. Uh, I can't imagine that if there are plans in motion, Iranian plans in motion in Iraq, that they weren't still in motion absent this one guy. Um, My complaint with this is I I think they're making it up as they go along because the communications from from the Pentagon, both in-country and out-of-country in Iraq, has been disheveled at best. And the administration hasn't been clear on any of this messaging. So I think it's an impulsive act by the president, but I'll defer to Ken on this. Admiral Ken, we go to you on this. I I want to get into the military aspect because there's so many things that have happened in the past 24 hours on the military side. But let's go back to the original question is, 
uh, did Secretary Esper and Secretary of State Pompeo miss an opportunity here to at least give legitimacy to the airstrike or at least give the American electorate comfort that this ultimately was the right move? I think the ability for uh, for Pompeo and Esper to give the American people any comfort is a uh, is a specious uh, a specious argument. Let's remember that the same intel people that they are choosing to believe now are the same ones that they've been accusing for the last three and a half years of being um, uh, prime movers in a deep state conspiracy to undermine the president of the United States. So we couldn't believe them before, but now we want to believe them now. To Dan's point, uh, if there were plans in motion, these plans, much like the plans that we produce in the in in the in DoD, these plans have have already been developed, and are probably canned and waiting for someone to say execute, execute, execute. So the killing of one person, uh, even the person at the top, in no means will 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 stop the execution of plans that have already been developed. It's a specious argument. Um, whether or not this was a good kill, for lack of a better way of putting it or not, really depends on whether there is a follow-up policy that this particular act is a portion of. Uh, history so far has gone to show that there, that, 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 that integrated, holistic, uh, uh, international policy-making process has been woefully absent almost from the first days of President Trump's uh, um, time in office. Um, do I think do I think that 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 Suleimani, most like most military people, needed to leave the planet? Absolutely, he's been responsible for almost for the deaths of almost fifteen hundred uh, uh, fellow servicemen. He needed to leave the planet. Uh, but as as somebody has already pointed out, President um, President Bush and President Obama had the opportunity to do this and chose another path. Um, and, and, and I guess finally, uh, I would not expect the intelligence community to release any details. They shouldn't release any details because the releasing of details uh, exposes methods and sources that may be necessary to do something else later on. But I go back to the beginning of this. We're being asked to believe that the same intel people that said the Russians are the bad guys that basically have pointed time and time and time again uh, that the president is doing things that are that are right. categorically uh, in poor judgment. Right. Uh, are we being asked to believe that now they're right? It, Alan, it's, it's, it's dumb. Alan Moore, I mean, this this does call into question the fact that, you know, President Trump is saying, well, you know, uh I do, you know, I was told by the intelligence community this is the right move. This is the only move that we can make. Uh, so he, so the president and the administration now wants us to believe that they are actively believing in and supporting the intelligence community, the same community that they said didn't do their job or that they've been striking down for years since they came in. Uh, they want. What's the matter? Why aren't Why aren't we rejoicing that he has made this 180 degree turn and now believes the people that everybody else has been believing because, for the last uh, many many years? Yeah, but because Alan, because Moore, it's a credibil- the end of the day. If you If you saw the press conference with the president of Greece, he immediately pivoted to the bad people in the intel community that were talking about the fake dossier and all this other stuff. He didn't make it a day. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, no, but the thing about it is, yeah, no, no, but Alan Moore, Alan Moore, it's it's a matter of it's a matter of credibility. I mean, you can't one day trash this and say, as the head of state, that oh, the, the, these intelligence organizations are only out to get me and they have no credibility, and then when you need them to back you up in credibility, you say, oh, they 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 told me this was the only thing, and you have to believe them because these are the hardworking people of the intelligence community. By the way, the who same intel community to, that was saying Iran was living up to the nuclear deal. So, any, anyway, which, who, which who Iranian you have to do we be, believe? All right, Alan Moore, go who ahead. Who says you have to be consistent? Who says you have to be consistent <laughs> one day to the next if you're President Trump? My God, talk about a guy who flip flops and shifts and turns and changes. This is his. This is the way he operates. And and uh, you know, Ken is absolutely right to. Call. To call out the bizarreness and 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 the the hypocrisy. Now, having said that, let me see. You were, I think, overcharacterizing what the president has said, uh, because you're saying now that that the intelligence committee was unanimously agreeing and saying this is what you have to do. That's not what the reporting has been. The reporting has been that when the the president was was presented some information, given some options. The, 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 the reporting from credible sources, talking to other credible sources, has said that, that the taking out of Soleimani was kind of an, an outlier that well, according, it, in the minds according of the to people, the New York According it, to the New York Times, whole, according to the New York Times, it was the last option they put on the table, thinking that he wouldn't take well, this option. No, 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 you're not, you're not listening to me. It, there were multiple options. Right. And that and that was one of them, and it, it may well have been the last one presented, but it was it was characterized as sort of an outlier that would cause him to back off and say, "Well, we're not ready for that. What could we do right. short of that?" But instead, with this guy, man, talk about a, a a tactical mistake on the part of advisors. You put something out there that's provocative and aggressive, and tough and risky. And you are likely to play right into the hands of a president with no sense of history, no sense of process, no willingness to dig deep into the complexities of a decision like this and make the studied, careful decision. It doesn't. Was this? Let me ask you this. Let me jump in. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. This was a huge mistake that won't work out in our favor. But it's not the way to get there. It's not the way to do these things. Alan Moore, hold on. Let me go to Rich Rubino, and then I want to ask you a question. Rich Rubino, go ahead. Okay, now I'm just saying, oftentimes in elections, when it becomes a Republican and a Democrat, the argument is always it doesn't matter who the president is because you're going to have administration behind them, and you're essentially going to get the same policy, whether it's a Demo- for a Democrat, the same policy for a Republican. This proves that the person in the White House actually matters. That's actually the person making a decision. And it also proves that no matter what candidates say, in the pro- when, they're running for the- when they're running for the presidential election, once they get in, they're likely to do the exact opposite when it comes to war. I mean, Woodrow Wilson ran in 1916, saying he was going to keep us out of war. Franklin Roosevelt said there would be no form, no, there would be no war. Um, there would be no, essentially the U.S. would not enter World War II in 1940. Lyndon Johnson, 1964, 
said that the United States would not, um, would not fight for wars that Vietnamese boys should be fighting for themselves. And George W. Bush in 2000 said he'd have a hum- more humble foreign policy. And of course, Donald Trump in 2016 campaigned in part to get to the left in many respects of Hillary Clinton by saying that how she was against, how she was against all these foreign wars and would need to come home. And he, you know, the one place where he was hawkish, though, was Iran, was Iran but he thought that getting rid of the deal, that someone can get a better deal than the deal that the Obama administration and the uh, and, and the Obama administration made. But essentially, this just shows that, you know, Donald Trump, he's not an ideologue. He's somebody who's impulsive. You give him some ideas, he says, let's go to the most extreme measure in many respects. And I think that's really the legacy of the Trump presidency. So, but, Alan Moore, let me go back to you on this. The, the situation, again, that comes up is, uh, in the in the one time that we needed the president to literally go to the and, and this is something that everybody has predicted would happen when the president has a true international crisis of this magnitude when he has to go up there and address the American people and go up there and address our allies and have these conversations with other heads of state his credibility, because of the fact that he's, you know, now relying on the intelligence community that he vilified for so many years. I mean, thank you for now listening to him, but isn't there a kind of too little, too late aspect to this in the hey, eyes the of Kurds our- are still with us? Well, oh, they, wait, <laughs> no, they're not. But Alan, I mean, Alan Moore, you see where I'm going with this? I mean, it, it seems to me like we've lost credibility for us to justify taking out one government official on the sovereign land of another government. Well, so it's hard to, 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 to talk about losing credibility with the heads of other countries. We've lost credibility with all of these people. <laughs> he, he is skating on thin ice. This, he doesn't start with a huge reservoir of trust that he's a thoughtful, careful person surrounded by smart people listening to their advice struggling over hard decisions and then making them and explaining in a timely way to uh, other nations, not to mention members of Congress uh, who have a uh, have a need and a right to know. Um, he does none of that. So with with what, what what's different in this case with the allies is people are thinking, holy crap, this could have ramifications that are huge to the Middle East, if you're Europeans, to us, to our dependence on oil flows, um, uh, economic linkages. Does this president have any idea what he's doing? Chances are they've always thought and still think, no, not a chance. Having said that, taking out Soleimani, Soleimani has, has always been... A, a question it's always been on the table this is a very bad guy who who by all rights <laughs> has caused the deaths pretty directly of hundreds of americans thousands of folks in that region um and building up these proxy forces that that carry out these horrible tactics disproportionate warfare, as they refer to it. Um, uh, we could beat them in a conventional war, but they can do a lot of damage with, with uh, uh, roadside bombs and, and riots and assassinations. So 
it, it it's conceivable that that he will luck into, and that's what it would be because of the process that was and was not followed. Luck into a process that could work to our benefit. That's right. not the way to make policy. Trust me. I mean, well, uh, let me I'm ask... not advocating. I'm not advocating that. I'm just trying to right. realize that. You know, it's not guaranteed that that the that the Iranians will simply come back and try to take out some senior American leader. What they're no, talking, you but, know, they're saying we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna you know respond proportionately. It's kind of can we hold on hold on hold on crazy it is Dan Littner then Ken that the Iranians are using far more measured language than we are. The Hezbollah Hezbollah said. We should only be targeting military, uh, U.S. military, not civilian and targets. We're going to get into that. And we're talking about bombing <laughs> cultural sites in Iran. Which, by the, way, which, which by the way, is a war crime. Which, by the way, is a war crime. Hezbollah is using think, measured language. Right. And I think one of the main reasons you saw uh, Secretary Esper, um, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, break with the president is because he understands that even if he orders military people to go commit a war crime and they choose not to, he basically stands by himself with the possibility of going to, going to the Hague and not on vacation. Right. And, um, and I, you know, we, we, we're, we are under no, we are under no uh, expectation uh, by the constitution to follow illegal orders. And I, I don't know, um, I don't. I don't. I personally but, don't know anybody that would. But Admiral Ken, we, we've Esper, heard Esper knows that, but yep. the president obviously doesn't. Absolutely. Right. Well, as Esper Esper gave a uh, gave a presser today over at the Pentagon where he was asked the question, and he gave a really interesting answer of saying that uh, I have full confidence that his his quote was I have full confidence that the president will not give us any uh, illegal orders. Uh, it, it, it was an. And if odd, he does, we will not follow it. Well, that, that he didn't say that. He just said, "I am confident that the, that the commander in chief will not give us any illegal orders." Yeah, but the funny series of, but that's something not to be glossed over easily, considering the president has said his Twitter account counts as official congressional notification, suggesting his Twitter account and these statements about things that are actual war crimes are what we are supposed to sort through the ones that are nonsense. And the ones that are legit. Well, again, this goes back to official. No, 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 no. no go back to what Ken. Go back. Go back to what Ken was saying. Ken was saying that Esper and the military knows what is a war crime too. Right. And they are not no, going no, to I, commit no, I, war crimes. No, no, I understand that, but it, but it is a scary little path for. And while I'm definitely in favor of folks in the military not committing war crimes, even if under orders, it is a scary little road. When the commander in chief is ordering something of the military and the military is not following it, this is a dangerous little route. Right. Well, I, I want to ask Richard Bino. The, the question keeps coming up: Is uh, did we in fact have any? Did we have any authority or any right to go after Soleimani on Iraqi soil? In a sovereign country, and the fact that he was a uniformed military officer in a sovereign, recognized country where we do not have any active war declarations uh, in place, does this put 
the president's War Powers Act or his ability to kind of bypass the War Powers Act, does that call it into question? And has this given Congress the upper hand? Oh, no, absolutely. And it certainly has given Nancy Pelosi the upper hand. You know, for everyone who says that there's some sort of this wag the dog theory, I don't really see it because I don't see where there's this great appetite in this country for saying we really need to go into a war with Iran. This is a very war-weary public, and Donald Trump understood that in 2016. So if that were the case, I think that this will have actually deleterious effects on his um, political standing. In terms of in terms of the constitutionality of it, I will say that, for the, for, first of all, there are two perspectives here. There's certainly the, UN, the, the, the international law, but there's also American law. And the Constitution grants the Congress has the power to declare war, but the president is, of course, the commander-in-chief of the Army and the Navy. And under his, what he would say in terms of presidential powers, or at least what his members of administration would tell him to say, is essentially that he has that power because he was, in many respects, trying to repel some sort of an attack. So he's using his commander-in-chief powers. That's probably what he would argue. But the only thing I can think of, and it's kind of a similitude, is when Barack Obama, for example, when he was campaigning in 2016, he was to the right of Dick Cheney because he said that in order to go after, um, to go after a terrorist, he would essentially go into a foreign land, and without their consent, he would go in there and he would take them on. And it was kind of, it was kind of on the back bench at the time because people were only focused on Iraq. They weren't focused on Afghanistan. And when he actually did go in, he did go into a sovereign nation. He did go into a sovereign nation, and he, and he when he got bin Laden, was the first one. And the other one was when he went after Al-Awlaki, um, one of the um, alleged terrorists in Yemen who was actually an American citizen, and went after him and then got his son as kind of collateral damage in a sense. But it would appear to me that if the president would say from, a, from U.S. law that what he's doing, that he was trying to repel attack, therefore he has the constitutionality, the constitutional permissibility to do that. I think the United States Congress would say, essentially, we declared war. We haven't necessarily even authorized you um, to use this power, but it's just going to be an interesting um, constitutional dilemma. But you're right in terms of the war powers, and he has 48 hours that he has to that he has to tell Congress what essentially what he did what he what he did over there. But it's going to be a very um, interesting um, question about the constitution about the War Powers Act and whether this. Yeah, is, but- and Rich, how Donald Trump's action affects him. Yeah. Rich, I mean, the, according to the president, he tweeted it, and that's oh, okay. notification. We're that. good. Yeah. I think in I the eyes of the president, the we're con- good. I forgot all about that when Alexander Hamilton and, and went back in 1787 <laughs> in Philadelphia. They were all arguing about whether we're ever going to figure out Twitter, and if that does come, how that Twitter would how, how Twitter essentially would um, essentially how how Twitter would be manufactured and how they, how it was going to be used. And I know that they all had decided that basically Donald Trump was right on that. So I'm, I apologize for my misinformation. The president informed Kid Rock before <laughs> he informed the Congress of the United States. You know, and you know it's you interesting. Know. I'll say this: Howie Carr had a column in the Boston Herald, and he is interesting. He was at Mar-a-Lago, and Howie Carr is a conservative columnist, ally of Donald Trump, and he basically said that Donald Trump seemed almost nonchalant about the thing. He said he was basically the, the conversation that he was talking about with California, with the California congressman, with him, with others, was about whether he, whether you think Bernie or Joe Biden would be easier to beat in the general election. Right. So they didn't think his mind was anywhere near that. Uh, Admiral Ken, on the on the on the military front, uh, the Iraqi Parliament voted to expel American coal- and coalition forces out of Iraq as a result of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a military perspective, we've also heard from the, uh, the commander of coalition forces in, uh, in Iraq that has said that in respect to your sovereignty, we will reposition our forces. Uh, did we just blink and give Iran the bigger hand 
militarily and diplomatically in a region that we can't afford to lose any ground on? Well, so so here's the deal. So that's not exactly how that went down, right? So, Correct. <laughs> so a letter was sent saying that we were getting ready to go, which caused a whole lot of uh, activity to go on in the Pentagon to backtrack away from that. Um, my best, most professional uh, answer to that or comment on that after 32 years, well, you know, plus four more at the, at the Academy is oops. And, um, <laughs> well, wait, now wait a minute. We have, we have, a, we have, a, we have a big problem then because we have a sovereign country saying, get out, yeah. which the Iraqi parliament voted on. And then the president is acting like a bad, like a bad renter saying, yeah, I'm not going to leave. And if you try and force me out, I'm going to, I'm going to jack up the place you live, you know, by, by throwing a bunch of sanctions at you. So I, I think, you know, to, to Alan's point, um, this behavior, this activity flies in the face of everything that President Trump ran on. He was going to bring home all the troops in the Middle East. He was going to get us out of these endless wars. Um, and he was going to take a, you know, a stronger stance toward Iran through, uh, through other, uh, other um, uh, avenues of, of, of national power. But, you know, in the last, you know, 24, 48, 72 hours, uh, we have completely, uh, that's completely gone out of the window. And I, I think that, you know, the one thing that I would say is, you know, what was on the, what was on the, 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 the hearts and minds of everybody before this went down? Impeachment. So Trump has once again changed the narrative. And so far, he's been pretty successful at it. And everybody... You know, without fail, he'll do something over here on the left and we'll go running over there. And if he doesn't like what's going on, he'll do something on the right and we'll go running over there and we'll pay it a bunch of attention. Meanwhile, you know, he, he's, you know, he's doing what he's always done. Right. But but here's the question I have is if, if you're trying to salvage a relationship, you're trying to salvage credibility in the region and you've got an Iraqi parliament that's voting to dis, to discharge you out of the area, uh Instead of trying to make nice and trying to patch the relationship, this administration is now publicly saying we'll put sanctions on Iraq for trying to kick us out. Where does that make sense? So if I, if I can yeah, say yeah, one thing about what, 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 what the Iraqi parliament did, first of all, almost half the members didn't show up, okay? So... So it was a narrow majority who was. They had a quorum. They had the a quorum. It's binding. I, I didn't say they didn't have a quorum, Justin. I said that almost half of the entire parliament took a pass and did not show up. The resolution they passed is not a binding resolution. It's 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 in the nature of and what the Congress does: a sense of the Senate, a sense of the Senate, a sense of the House, a sense of the Congress resolution. It's not irrelevant. It's not in any way binding. I don't even think right now they have a prime minister who could sign a binding resolution, which this resolution is not. Okay. So this was an important, legit, you know, symbolic statement. And then our, our poor guys, as as Ken using the legal term, oops, they screwed <laughs> up. They wrote this thing and probably, you know, and instead of sharing it with, with the Pentagon, shared it with uh, with Iraqi government officials, making us look really stupid. 
um, and forcing our guys to go out and say, no, 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 that, that, that was, uh, that, that's not where we are. No decision has been made, et cetera. And then, of course, the president responds, as, as, as has been said, you're going to kick us out? Fine. <laughs> and, and you're going to pay for everything we've done, and you're going to see sanctions worse than anything Iran has but ever again, seen. But again, where does that make, oh, so, you know, where does that make it, sense? Where does that make sense? It doesn't make any sense. That's the whole point. We got, we got, we we got, we got a president who operates, just pulls stuff out of his, reaches down in the backside of his pants and pulls out these crazy ideas, writes them down, shoots them out, gets some, you know, he's got some followers. Yeah, you tell him, man, you tell him we're tough, we're strong. Um, And, and, uh, and then it's, oh, never mind. No, we, we. They, they, this was a sense of the parliament resolution. Have almost half the, the the parliament wanted no part of this, but they didn't want to vote no. Um, after all, we killed some Iraqis, yeah. and we did it at Baghdad Airport. So you know, it's not without provocation in the Iraqi situation. And the Iraqis are trying to figure out a way to live with with these uh, with, with with Iran and the proxy. Uh, militia groups that right. Iran is supporting, they're in a very challenging uh, position. So this is a largely symbolic act that they take, and we treat it like they're throwing us out. Um, and the president responds with his, I can be tougher than anybody else in the room, and and, and don't talk about nuance. Right. Are, but you know what, though? Well, Richard that's, B- that's not even the full, full list of it, though. Let's go with Dan I mean, and then Rich. I mean, we have to add on to the fact that the Iranians were still sort of following parts of the nuclear deal, which now they've said they're going to pull out of entirely. And with with all of this mess that's going on, the, the question is really, what do we have left? The constant alienation of everyone else on the field. I was joking about at least we have the Kurds. There There is no three-dimensional chess being played here by this president. The, our European allies have said they want no part of this. They're, they're heading for the exits. This is this is Fortress America that the president is arguably leaning on for his policy stance. Even in his meeting today that I happened to turn on, when he was meeting with the president of Greece, he was talking about a weapons deal with Libya that Turkey's been involved with. Mind you, the Turks and the Greeks don't exactly get along. He couldn't get out of that meeting without stepping in it. So this but, president clearly has no idea what he's doing. But he, but here's the here's the question I have, and and I want to go to I want to go to Rich Rubino on this. The the Iranian foreign minister basically called what we did in Iraq in the drone strike to take out Soleimani a an act of, quote-unquote, aggression against Iran, and this is what gets me, state terrorism. Is, are, are we, are we dangling here on very much a hypocrisy where we're basically taking out Solomon for the exact same thing that we, that we just did? Uh, the answer is yes, and the answer is also that there is an exec- there was a um, executive order signed by President Ford that essentially outlaws um, the killing of a foreign leader. He would, of course, say that he's not technically a leader, so the answer would be yes. But I just want to get back to the issue of the sanctions issue, because a lot of people don't realize that sanctions in Iraq are not avant-garde. We had those. 
We did that in the 1990s after the Gulf War, President George H.W. Bush, the U.N., President Clinton. We had those on, the, we had those on Iraq. They were debilitating sanctions. Hundreds of thousands of people probably died as a direct result of it. Um, and there was actually an interview where Marilyn Albright was interviewed in 1996, and she said essentially that the price was worth it. She was interviewed by Leslie Stahl. But what, were, what was the result of those sanctions? The result was that the Iraqi people did not turn against Saddam Hussein. They unified behind Saddam Hussein and blamed the United States while their leaders, while Saddam Hussein himself was living in palaces in all 18 provinces and had a, um, and had a 269-foot yacht. And eventually Osama bin Laden used those sanctions as causes ballet for the attacks on 9-11. Those are one of the three reasons that he actually put in the fatwa that the United States is going to war with the Muslim world. So that's the result that sanctions on Iraq essentially would, um, if, if, they were actually, if they were actually consummated, that's what the sanctions on Iraq would actually have. Everyone in Iraq would essentially unify against the United States, just like it's happening in, the Iranian, in, in Iran right now. I don't see how you would have the situation where, where Iraqi citizens would somehow rise up and decide to dislodge, you know, right. any, to dislodge um, anyone who's, who's unfavorable to the right. American regime. But Admiral Ken, let me let me go back to this question of state terrorism. You know, we 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 basically took a knee-jerk reaction on some actionable intelligence, and we had a. Um, you know what the right word to you to use here, but we had a president who is reactionary. Alleged actual intelligence. What's that? Alleged actual intelligence. Alleged actual intelligence. I'll, I'm I'm giving the intelligence community a little bit of benefit of the doubt. Well, they had to know where he was. So yeah, yeah. I mean, so so here's the question: is if there's a thin line between what is a retaliation and what is viewed by many in the region now as uh, hypocritical state terrorism on our part, how do we differentiate it? Could we have done something differently that wouldn't have put this in such a a hypocritical light with even our allies? Well, sure. Uh, There are a number of things that we could have done. Uh, We could have kidnapped them. Um, We could have uh, targeted the area around him uh, to send a message i.e. like shooting over his head, um, we could have, you know, we could have used, used assets to take a picture of him and, and send, him, send, him, send it to him in the mail. Say, hey, dude, you know, we, we know where you are. We can reach out and touch anytime we want. There's a, there's a whole bunch of things that we could have done. I, I think the question that you're asking me is that what separates us uh, from being guilty of the things that we have accused Iran of, and that's being a state sponsor of terror. Um, I think it's basically uh, a statement that I heard a long time ago. Um, you know, the, the victors get the right to history books in the story. Um, I, I, am, I am, I'm, I'm really anxious about, um, about the actual, talking about the actual act of, of killing Suleimani. Um, and I, I, I don't have a problem talking about the rationale or the lack of rationale, I don't have a problem questioning the president's motives um, because I think he has basically left himself by his by his previous actions open to uh, being questioned, his having ha- having his motion uh, his motives questioned. But let's face it, let's be really clear here: this was a very bad dude, and he needed to go away. No question. Yeah, look, and let, and let me be clear. I. I completely agree with you. I am not. I am not concerned 
whether or not this guy is burning in an eternal hell. I hope he is. I hope it's painful for him. I absolutely believe that this guy should have been dead years ago. However, when there are ways of doing it and doing it that does not vilify us in the eyes of the Middle East community, there are ways of doing it without vilifying us in the eyes of our allies. I mean, literally, I've, we've got... The we've got uh, Boris Johnson, we've got Angela Merkel, we've got Emmanuel Macron in a joint statement which says all parties need to exercise the utmost restraints and responsibility. And, and you know, and, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll end my comments on this. I, I am actually old enough. I was a lieutenant in the Navy when um, the USS Ticonderoga shot down the uh, the airliner over the other uh, Persian Gulf. Right. And um, and and some number of months later. Um, the Iranians basically acted. They, uh, they tried to kill the, uh, the, the commanding officer's wife in San Diego, California, in her minivan. So anybody that thinks that there will not be a reaction from the, the Iranians or that it will be, uh, what's the word that someone used, considered or, marg- or marginal, uh, I think, quite frankly, uh, we need to expand our, our thought. Thoughts on that? I mean, Alan Moore from yeah, a, from so, a di- oh, oh, go ahead, Dan Lipner first, then I want to go to Alan Moore. So what Ken is saying is absolutely right. The Iranians are not they they aren't the B team. They sort of know what they're doing, um, and none of this stuff exists in a vacuum. So Salmani, we're all agreed, was a bad guy, mm-hmm. but part of what's going on in the entire region is also a proxy war between Iran and Saudi Arabia that we happen to be able allied with the other bad guys the saudis aren't exactly saints in the region either so all this is percolating out there and then and this is true i have i've had now had this conversation in my family in spite of the fact that the the iranians have said that that they don't want to target civilians we live in washington dc this is ground zero for bad people to target to do bad things this has very real world consequences as ken accurately points out the Iranians reached out in San Diego, California, of all places, to try and get their revenge. Do we honestly think the Iranians don't have capacity to do other things in other places? And I pray that they don't do anything against civilian targets, but I'm taking it very seriously that D.C. civilian targets are actually on the map now. But, but here's the thing is, the, 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 what gets me about all of this is the fact that when you see a statement that says, quote, we will not respond, we will respond proportionately, not disproportionately, we will respond lawfully. We are not lawless people like President Trump. By the way, that is the head of state in Iran making that statement. They're showing at least some verbal restraint in all this, knowing that this could escalate and get out of hand very quickly. So the, the question now becomes is, you know, we, we've heard Secretary Pompeo, Secretary Esper, and we heard Donald Trump do it and make the statement that the world is a safer place because Soleimani is dead. And we took him out and took him off the battlefield, and the world is now a better place. The question is, are we in fact, are Americans and our allies, not necessarily here in the United States, but globally, are we safer today than we were two weeks ago? When this did not happen, Alan Moore, let me start with you. 
We do not know. Hopefully, we will learn in the next day or two more about what this intelligence was that, that, that they at least describe as saying that there was an imminent threat. Uh, it's going to be behind the scenes, secret presentation to members, but we know some stuff will creep out. We don't trust this administration. We don't trust this president. So there's an enormous amount of doubt and skepticism about the process they they went through. Um, we're pretty damn sure that it wasn't the kind of process that we would like it to be. Thorough, in-depth, considered. Um, uh, and it, w- that we know that but but what the outcome is like what what the information was and what the outcome was and what the outcome will turn out to be looking back a week a month two three four months there's no way to know it it is it it is a under the best of circumstances under the most carefully considered uh consider uh, considered process it's good it was going to be a tough call it's conceivable that a call could have been made. It's time to take him out. This guy is a killer. Um, he is not a conventional senior member of another of another government. He's a senior he ranking commissioned officer. He's a senior ranking commissioned officer of a sovereign country's military this I force. Know. This I know. But he, when he operates it, with with a very fat checkbook, to 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 develop and finance proxy uh, war figures, then he's operating in a, in a different kind of an area. And he's operating like a rogue leader in a rogue state. Yes, it's a sovereign government, but they're, they, the, the Revolutionary Guard has been identified as a terrorist organization. So he's a senior member in that government. He also wait, 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 runs wait, wait, a... He also runs a terrorist organization. Okay, that's fine. I, look, again, I don't think anybody here agrees with the fact or disagrees with the fact that this guy was not fodder for a death sentence. I don't think anybody on this broadcast <clears throat> excuse me, is losing sleep that this guy is now dead. That, I think, is the issue. The question I have, and this is where this gets... The issue is how. <clears throat> It's it's the it's the we could have if he is or I'm sorry, the fact that he's an Iranian commissioned senior officer in their military force. If we were going to take him out, you take him out on Iranian soil. We've now included and brought into without their knowledge, without their consent, without their just even being able to comprehend the possibility, we've dragged in what a country that we need as an ally, a country that we went into make them an ally, and they're now on the side of Iran and Russia and China. No, we're still, we're we still don't know narrow, where Iraq still is. Too narrow an argument. What's that? I mean, so, so it's still too narrow an argument. Iran is a quasi-democracy, and I say quasi in big, bold letters because, yes, they actually do elect leaders, but their, their, their religious class has a veto over the de- democratic uh, elements below it. There is a, re- a reform movement in Iran that was kind of percolating out there, 
And each time something like this happens, you unify, and this is consistently consistent almost around the globe, that each time there is some sort of military action taken against a sovereign country or any kind of military action taken against a country, it weighs in favor of those on the conservative edge of things. This is true here. It's true in Israel. And yes, it's even true in Iran. Iran has suddenly been unified, saying this guy is a saint and saying that, you know, the great Satan America is now doing horrible things to us again. There are costs. And again, not saying this guy is a good guy. The question is, what what happens when you happen to knock this particular domino down? But uh, to Alan's point, you know, talking about the fact that, again, uh, Alan's point is correct, that uh, uh, there was a large chunk of the Iraqi parliament that did not show up for the uh, for the vote. It was a uh, vote that was in Iran itself, not Iraq. No, no, in Iraq. This was Iraq. Uh, The Iraq, the Iraqi parliament. Yeah, the Iraqi parliament. What did I say, Iran? No, you were right. No, no, no. I'm saying the the Iranian people were the no, 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 no. But that's that's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm getting at. Is you had you know Grant to Alan's point. Granted. There was a there was a good chunk of the Iraqi parliament that didn't show up. We also realize that there is a big divide in Iraq between the Shia and the Sunni, which is it was I believe and the a, Kurds and, and the Kurds yeah. too. But the Kurds are still trying to get their own sovereignty in in, in Kurdistan. But that's a whole nother topic we've talked on. But but again, you have you have Shia and Sunni that are going to be fighting it out. So, to, Alan, to your comment, there is no guarantee we know where Iraq is going to fall. What we do know, and what we do have as factual context in this, is the is the amount of influence that is currently being thrown around in country in Iraq by those who are sworn enemies of us, Iran. So whether we don't, the fact that we don't know, or you could say that they're kind of swinging back over towards Iran, Russia, and China, who, by the way, are doing joint military operations, which I want to ask Ken that in another second. The bottom line here is we've created, as a result of bad, bad military coordination, bad coordination within the administration and bad decision making at the senior levels, we have now done exactly what we were hoping not to do is create a tension point in the Middle East, have another ongoing conflict in the Middle East going against what Trump and his base want. This thing has spun everything on its head, and we still don't know what the end reaction is, and there's still no guarantee that everybody is safer today than we were before the holiday when this wasn't happening. That's a big problem. That's a big problem for this administration. It's a big problem for our allies, and you know who's sitting back and enjoying the view is Vladimir Putin, Chairman G, and... Now the uh, the Iraq the Iranian uh, leadership, which is again doing military exercises jointly, which Admiral Ken, let me ask you this question: Is that something that should be raising eyebrows to all yes. Americans? Yeah. So 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 when whenever whenever countries come together to do exercises together, they're they're learning they are learning how to do one thing. 
and that is to basically conduct conduct coordinated warfare against an enemy uh, in a manner that will be more detrimental to the enemy than they will to themselves. You know, and, and coordinated coordinated naval operations is not a it's not a thing you just you know go out pick up one day and just go out and do. It takes a significant amount of planning, and the first time you do it. Uh, a lot, a lot of uh, uh, focus and attention to detail. Uh, what's going to be interesting is if in a year's time or less, they do this again. That means that they have found a stride, that they have uh, figured out a way to complement each other's capabilities and uh, uh, mitigate each other's weaknesses. And it makes them a much more capable force in case we've got to go up against them. And you know, with regard to us losing our uh, our footing with our allies, uh, I would not like to go into a naval engagement with that combined force uh, without uh, the Brits or even the French uh, or the or the German German navies at our side. Well, the, fr- the French have already said that they are reluctant to participate. It'd be a very it would be a very tough fight in any uh, military action right 101, now. One on one, one on one, Iran, one on one, Russia, one on one, China. You know, they don't stand a snowball's chance in hell. Uh, combined operations against just us, that'd be a real, that'd be a very long day for us. Very long oh, day. It's, it's going to be a long couple of weeks as we watch this play out. Uh, that's all the time we have today. Uh, on behalf of uh, Charlie Bernie behind the glass, uh, Maddie, the engineer, also helping us. Thanks, Maddie, as always. Uh, Admiral Ken, good to have you back uh, for our first broadcast of the 10-year anniversary of Backroom Politics. Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, Rich Rubino, thank you guys. Uh, we will be back for another episode of Backroom Politics. You can download us as a podcast on your favorite podcast service, whether it's Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, uh, Spreaker, you name it. We're, we're out there. We're kind of a big deal now. You can also follow us on our website, www.backroompolitics.org. Keep an eye on that because there's going to be a lot of things happening on our website. New content coming out, new authors, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, until then, you can email me, Justin at Backroom Politics, or you can follow us at Twitter at Backroom Politic and send us your thoughts, comments, and uh, love letters. Have a great week, America. See you.